Welcome to the Georgia Fintech Academy podcast. The Georgia Fintech Academy is a collaboration between Georgia's fintech industry and the University System of Georgia. This talent development initiative addresses a massive demand for fintech professionals and gives learners the specialized education Hi everybody, experiences this is Tommy Marshall, needed the to enter the fintech director of the Georgia Fintech Academy. Welcome to Season 3, Episode 12 of the Georgia Fintech Academy podcast. Today's June 9th, 2022, and we are really fortunate today to have David Berglund with us. He's the global head of artificial intelligence for FIS Global. And his name may be familiar to some of you because he's been with us in a variety of different forums with the Georgia FinTech Academy. And we'll have, we or we do have Vijay Ahuja with us, who's a recent graduate of Indiana University. And Vijay, you are the first student from outside the state of Georgia to join the Georgia Fintech Academy podcast. Breaking so, barriers, Vijay. Bacon, awesome, breaking, awesome. breaking barriers. So I thought, uh, Vijay, thanks for coming on. I guess audience, I've gotten to know Vijay a little bit over the last three or four months because he uh, he lives here in Atlanta, has been doing some work here in Atlanta. His family's here in Atlanta. And so he was interested in being on the podcast. And I was like, yeah, why why should we uh, not have you on? Uh, so we're, I'm excited to have you and I'm looking forward to this discussion. David, I want to, I wanna, let's get into intros. And I was hoping you could share with the audience a bit of your career journey and how you got into interested in fintech and artificial intelligence and how you came to F. Tell us, tell us a bit about that. Sure. Yeah. Thanks, Tommy, uh, for having me. Um, so my background is is interesting. If you looked at it on LinkedIn or I handed you my resume, you, you'd say, this doesn't make any sense. This guy's all over the place. Uh, and, and that's mostly true. And the reason for that, I think, is I've been able to find one interesting opportunity after another, and none of it was necessarily obvious. It's finding an open door, a connection that was maybe somewhat unexpected. And the reason I mentioned that, a lot of it has been like these crossover type experiences. So I started out my career actually in healthcare, focused on data, and really started pursuing and just had a passion for thinking smarter, different, better, and got into innovation. So we we built this kind of internal innovation group called the Roundtable at United Health Group, one of the top five you know companies, massive, massive company, but it was just grassroots. And, and it was people who wanted to think differently, talk about trends, build products. That wasn't our job. It was just something we were interested in. And that then led into working on startups, my own, and then building startups for the company. I was an entrepreneur in residence. And in healthcare, I ended up really finding this niche with emerging technologies and then specifically artificial intelligence. So had a chance working within an R&D team to really be leading, driving AI usage. A, a focus on intellectual property just has been kind of the secondary interest of mine. And I was at a conference and I, and I mentioned, you know, open doors and kind of these things that are unexpected. And I, I decided I want to go to Singularity University has this conference okay. series. And one of them was about fintech. And I didn't know anything about fintech. This is probably, I don't know, 12 years ago or more. And this is uh, Diamandis. That's, That's right. Yeah, is, Peter yeah. Diamandis. Exactly. So I had gone to a healthcare one. I thought, you know what, I've got to learn, you know, what else is going on out there. Went to this fintech one and 
ended up on my way home, got a phone call from a recruiter, job opportunity to step into the world of fintech. And I haven't looked back. I mean, I, I love my time in healthcare, but then I was I got the chance to lead AI within uh, US Bank. I had a tremendous opportunity there, great team. And then after that, had then more recently jumped into FIS Global, which gives me that chance, you know, massive, massive scale across capital markets, banking, merchant, payments, you know, everything that happens in fintech we're, we're playing a role somewhere so it's been just awesome again one jump to the next it's been good that's that is really cool and i don't i think i've forgotten about your time at u.s bank i think and i and i think it might have been since last time we talked david u.s bank and elevon that you know payment yep. acquiring business have come into the fintech academy as another one of our like really large supporters which is so it's anyway it's been fun it's been a tremendous team kind of get yeah. to know that team there's that innovation team out of minneapolis that i'd interacted with a little bit dominic um, dominic ventura yeah, yeah dominic ventura's yep. team yeah was your work kind of synced up with them? Yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I, I worked on, on Dominic's team. So he, you know, was the leader of it all, but there's just a, an awesome cohort. And then even down here in, in Atlanta, or here I'm in Florida, but where you are in Atlanta, I know there's a, a nice contingent there as well. Yeah, cool. That's great. It's good to make that connection. BJ, tell, just tell us a little bit about you and, and you know, what you were studying at IU and kind of what you're interested in doing post-graduation. Happy to first. Thanks for having me on this podcast. It's my first podcast experience, so I'm pretty excited about it. And so as Tommy mentioned before, I'm a recent grad uh, from Indiana University. I majored in finance and business analytics. Resisted technology at first a lot, but the, you know, once I took a course that introduced a bit of technology in today's business, in today's world, I was pretty excited by it. And added a major or minor to my undergrad program called information systems. So that was a, a good risk I took and I've been in, I've been in FinTech ever since I started college. Um, I've have multiple work experiences all in Atlanta, I've worked through a various, all based in Atlanta and worked at different size companies from, from startups to large corporations. And I'm still, I'm actually currently working, working at Global Payments as a technology intern or slash business analyst intern. So it's been a great, great exposure for me working with colleagues all the way up in Ireland and other regions in Europe. So it's been a fantastic exposure for me. Mm -hmm. You said you were reluctant or hesitant about technology, and then you got an information mm -hmm. a degree. You got to <laughs> explain that to me. Yeah, yeah. Of course. Uh, so uh, the thing is, a uh, bit of my family background, everyone has done engineering. And, you know, it's it just, just fixated my mind that I didn't want to do something engineering or IT or tech related. So because I just it, it wasn't natural to me. So mm -hmm. I didn't I never open those doors for myself but being in a college environment and you know it's just being by yourself and taking risks to really explore and find out what i really want to achieve or what i want to do in my future so it was just one of those typical stories of taking risks and i'm glad i took that risk because as we know technology is advancing at a rate that we can't even measure and especially in the financial services industry. So it's it's great. It's opened a lot of doors. I'm looking for many opportunities within the fintech space, whether it's in Atlanta or anywhere in the U.S. And um, I'm very excited about this. 
Hey, BJ, will you also just speak for a minute about your experience with Optimize Payments, which I, I think was another mm -hmm. internship you've done. With right, that, right. that company's one I've been getting a bit more familiar with recently, which I find really interesting. Can you just talk a bit about what you were doing there and what you learned? Gladly. Optimize Payments was actually my first true payment processing related experience. My first virtual experience during COVID. Very happy. For, I'm glad. I'm so very thankful that Anand offered me this experience. So at my time at Optimize Payments, my first really core thing was actually understanding what payment processing is and understanding the fundamentals of this industry. So whether it's interchange fees, the key payment processors, the pay and such as Visa, MasterCard, their role, merchants, issuing, et cetera. So there's a lot of ter advanced terminology that I had no idea what that even existed in this market. Which So that was a great exposure for me. And also being introduced to, uh, to using advanced uh, business analytics tools, such uh, or, or BI tools, such as, sorry, actually a good way of putting is business analytics tools, such as Tableau and seeing what kind of an, an analysis the company was doing in helping the clients save money on interchange fees, mainly merchants, right? So transactions, et cetera. So that was a great exposure as well as because optimized payments is growing at, at, an, at a phenomenal rate. The company is doing so well. I'm still in touch with, with Anand himself. We, I helped them basically do a bit of market research on how they can expand their operations to overseas, maybe mainly in Asian regions, Latin, Latin America and African regions. So that was, was great exposure as well. Great, great experience. A lot of really understanding the fundamentals and just expanding my my skill set and learning more about these terminologies as well. Mm -hmm. So that was one of it. And also helped Anand do a NPS analysis for the company, which was also, my first time learning about NPS. So, a lot of new things. And Do you want to explain what NPS is for the pod listeners mm -hmm. who don't know? Of course. So, NPS is a net promoter score, and it's a, I think of it as a way as a marketing strategy where it basically is a survey designed for current customers or ex customers of the company or clients, where you send it out the survey and basically know how likely they are to recommend your services or your products to other people or other clients or potential clients. So a score, a positive score is obviously a great thing because your current customer base is very, is highly likely to recommend your services. So this, is a good thing that your services and your products are highly valued in the market and there's a high demand for it. So I worked with the marketing head, who's Monica, uh, who sits in Texas, you know, work with the survey, reaching out to customers and getting an understanding of how optimized payments provides the services and just work on things that are not going well, but as well as strengthening the things that are going well and further developing them. Thanks for that, VJ. I guess, and then one question, one more question for you, VJ. I want to jump into some <laughs> conversation about it. Yeah. Like, VJ, you were, it seemed to me like you were very successful in getting like multiple fintech focused internships mm -hmm. during your undergraduate. Like, do you have any advice to the mm -hmm. students listening in on like how you made that happen for yourself? Of course. So, I think. Um, the first initial step, someone who's just starting in college, right? I think my first advice would be is to be open to any opportunity possible, whether it's something you like or you don't like. You have just 
have a very be very open minded about it because you never know what's going to happen with you. Like like I mentioned before, I resisted technology. I I wasn't too comfortable working with you know not necessarily programming, but not knowing what's happening in today's world in terms of technology. So my first advice would be just be very open-minded be open to any opportunity that presents itself and that way you can narrow down on your narrow down on your options and see what your true likings are so that's a great step great first step and then someone who's actually exploring in the fintech space my advice would be go out to as many events as you can georgia fintech academy is a great portal for anyone who's looking into the fintech space by looking at events signing up and look and learning about other people's stories who's worked who've already worked in this in this space and just networking because networking is is a fantastic opportunity for me and i believe i, rec- I any I, any prestigious leader in this space would say the same thing is that is that networking it gives the way to really make those connections and understand what's going on was was networking harder for you during covid or like i have to imagine the event scene especially trying to build those relationships you know i was in call it a lucky position because i was settled and and mm-hmm. all of that but how was that for you in terms of exploring new relationships like you said open mind open doors but that had to have looked different for you of course covid definitely was very challenging for not just for myself but for everyone but it's about having that drive and having that mentality of making that effort so i was just looking at different sources whether it's even using social media as a platform to network people for example linkedin is a great source I use uh, LinkedIn Premium. It's it's a bit expensive. I had a cost for me at this point, but I think I, because I use LinkedIn so much, so it's worth it for me. I don't recommend everyone going for LinkedIn Premium right away, but as it's a good uh, good base to build your foundation uh, of your network. So, how much media. of your networking was on the metaverse? Though I've got to know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Metaverse, I think it's, for me, it's uh, only college level for now. My friends and I have been discussing a lot about Metaverse. Some of them have actually purchased NFTs and some of like a virtual land at the Metaverse. So it's it's very exciting and how, and also understanding how they've used cryptocurrency, uh, such as Ethereum, to purchase these assets. So it, it's it's very interesting. I'm not 100% comfortable with it because my, my knowledge on the Metaverse is very limited. But I believe it's it it is taking shape day by day, and let's see how it goes. How much of the metaverse is becoming part of your work, David? Yeah, oh, man, it is. It's a good question, and it's a growing theme. It is mm-hmm. something that I don't think I personally had heard about it a year ago, and before that, other than science fiction books, right? Ready Player One or things like that. Yeah. Um, all of a sudden, now it took the world by storm, and it was. Clearly, we were talking blockchain, and I had done some work in the blockchain space, you know, a bit in Bitcoin. And then all of a sudden now, that translated to, you know, AR, VR, right? You've mm-hmm. got Pokemon Go, right? So some of these things that didn't seem connected, but the fact is people were making payments, essentially, in this connected world between their smartphone and, you know, in the AR world, 
right? Mm -hmm. Buying, you know, whether it's loot bags, et cetera. And then all of a sudden now you get into the VR space, but, but metaverse is, it seems new in some ways. I feel like it's almost just a rebrand of what we have been doing with second life, you know, years ago, but I think there's this recognition and, you know, VJ, you alluded to it when you talked about like, you didn't know some of the fundamental things that were happening in payment processing. And I think that's something that now we're getting closer to is how do we help enable merchants or other businesses who want to participate in the metaverse? There's just a, there's a need. I think it does take everyone to kind of take a step in at a time. We've got, obviously it's a bit rocky, right? With the market. If you look at some of the underlying currencies are just a bit, you know, all over the place right now, which is too bad, but I think there is still probably the shared consensus that there's something interesting about people sharing an experience online together, whether it's AR, VR is probably a little bit more out there, but they're investing, you know, the money's there. And, and, you know, we talk about metaverse and this inner, where does meta, where do you find in your work metaverse intersecting with artificial intelligence? Like, is one serving the other? Is it, are, are the two kind of coming together more and more? What, what's been your as observation? AI in many ways or artificial intelligence, and we think of it as a set of capabilities that are generally what we're talking about is machine learning, right? Mm-hmm. Machines that are able to learn from their environment and have some generally some independent action doing something within a system. That can be applied to almost any business, any function. And it, it's the same is true for the metaverse, whether it's at the infrastructure layer and things like how to use AI ops to make sure that the systems stay resilient and stable up through the building environments. If you look at what's being done with things like GPT-3 or Dolly, where all of a sudden you create now images and videos, that's going to be required to create the scale and all of these unique environments that people are going to want to participate in. Or you get into the personalization layer, just like we expect Netflix and Amazon to personalize our shopping experiences or our media consumption people will expect the same for the metaverse in terms of how they interact, if they feel known, if they're able to know others within that environment or discovery, right? We, we all have the same discovery problem, whether it's content, news, media. How can I find which metaverse I should participate in or uh, who I should engage with within that metaverse. I think those will be clear ways where we take a technology that is semi-proven in one area and just we're just applying it into maybe a, a more highly dimensional construct in the metaverse. So it, it's going to be all over the place over time. We'll see more and more. Yeah, that is really interesting to me. I mean, I've been, you know, I guess for since I've been in this FinTech Academy role, I mean, one dialogue we've been having, particularly with our creative creative media institute colleagues that are just kind of down the street from the FinTech Academy at Georgia State, and they've been doing a lot of work around e-gaming, e-sports, more and more in the AR, VR realm. And one point of discussion we've had where we talk about collaborating with the FinTech Academy is this, I, you know, I guess idea I believe in that's the, the metaverse. I don't, I wasn't saying that I was saying virtual reality or gaming would be in, in very important environments for the delivery of financial services, probably even faster than I had imagined. I mean, the use case that really had resonated for me was the one of like financial advice and planning and where you I could imagine you could have a very you know pretty intimate involved more engaging conversation with another individual but in right. a in a game environment or in a metaverse environment right. for the right. delivery right. of of that 
type of information and and guidance and trust building and maybe even do it in a way from the financial advisor standpoint that could be more efficient and at greater scale perhaps i think it's similar to erica from bank of america right yeah Um, as that has grown or other virtual assistants in terms of their capability the richness of conversation you start to trust them especially and not even all of them but like you have a good experience you'll lean you'll lean back on it all of a sudden now we're just porting some of that code base over so to speak that experience into the metaverse right and i think you made a point of you know the interactions because what will be interesting is we're going to come to a point where we will have interactions with people but they're going to be represented as you know essentially avatars and we won't know mm. how much of it is fully person fully virtual or something in between like that augmented experience i think multi-language things like that will be happening sooner than we know it bj what do you think about this i mean do you you know, could, would, would you be open to some financial guidance in a meta environment? I think it, for me, being a business student, I think it just, I'll, I'll, be, I'll be using some pretty strong business fundamentals. Just, it depends on your risk. If you have the cap, if you have the capital, if you have the risk tolerance, then I think it's worth a shot. Given the current market conditions as well, I, I, it's it's a bit more risky with uh, cryptocurrencies just tanking day by day, which is very depressing for my portfolio. <laughs> but yeah, what I, I think, yeah, it just comes down to someone's interests and yeah, risk. If you're happy to take if you if you have the capability of you know, the appropriate resources to step into the space why not go for it you know it's always worth a shot yeah i, I, I have also part of it to you Sorry. we generally think like what problem are we solving mm-hmm. right and i think some of it we do face this challenge where there's more tech it's technology driven technology led which can be okay if it leads to some massive shift in possibility and and people kind of fill that void back with with the real need or take advantage of it in a way that they don't expect i think to your point you know tommy about like financial advice my question is why what what is that experience going to look like that's different or better in the metaverse and my simplistic mind which i know is just barely scratching the surface of possibility is okay well i could have a zoom call with my financial advisor today right now he happens to live nearby so we meet in person but what would happen if all of a sudden all of the experiences and like the richness of financial advisors across a portfolio, the world, the metaverse, learn from each other and they start to get personalized. All of a sudden now, it's like not 10x, it's a thousand times better. Yeah. Maybe that would be interesting. I'm with yeah. you. The, I mean, the, the other one that I get really excited about in that same context of financial advice and finan- maybe financial planning is data visualization, yeah. where I, I know for me, I'm very visually oriented in how I learn. And so I know for me, like I can grasp concept, complex concepts faster if I can begin to see them visually or if they're presented to me in a very kind of he- well done digital yeah, yeah. format. I'm like, oh yeah, I get it now. And so, but I could imagine like, you know, you know, our, our lives really aren't that long, a hundred right. years max. Mm-hmm. And that you could be in a, in a metaverse environment and see data visualizations that could show different scenarios of like, okay, if you're gonna take on a certain profession at a certain income level, you're likely going to see this amount of growth. If you invest at a, you know, relatively smart way 
at a you know at a conservative rate of return, and you could I could imagine like these visualizations of my money. Yeah, or, or the yeah, house that you are planning to build in the car in the driveway. Also, yeah. now you right. can as you're planning for your financial advisor says, what are you planning for? Like, what are you, what are you really right. looking forward to? You can go visit it, you know, yeah. as you're making these payments and saving to move in someday. Yeah. Yeah. That kind of, I, I mean, I love that idea. It just seems so powerful to me that if you can, you can visualize it better or even like what you're saying, place yourself in that future right. and then be like, okay, does this, you know, motivate me or, you know, right. does this, what, what sort of decisions? Okay. Do I, okay. Now let's rewind 20 years. Okay. What decisions do I really need to be focused on now right. to help make that thing a reality? The, the richness of some of these deep fakes and, and that almost has this negative connotation now, but these mm-hmm. AI generated art, AI mm-hmm. generated, you know, environments, you, you can barely tell the difference. And often we can't, the fa- that's mm-hmm. the fact between what's fake and what's yeah. real. Yeah. So all of a sudden, now when you're walking into that environment it will the emotional connection will hit you deeper it's not just going to be like watching you know super mario brothers like this really basic crude technology you will feel that you are part of it and and vj i think i'd be curious to hear from you tommy you mentioned you know visualization you know you talked about you know data analytics etc any sense for like how could you add another dimension to that in the metaverse with you know analytics and insights really good question i think when i think so kind of rewinding back i think when it comes to metaverse or anything i think even before artificial i think of machine learning first so i think that's where the analytic space goes into from according to my perspective because it's you with the data we have currently is and you know we do that analysis and whatever we get, the results we get, we implement it into today's technology. So I I don't know how to say it in words. I, 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 it's, for me also, it's a very new concept and I'm still kind of processing on how this could be worked. Um, still do kind of some out of my research, but I, yeah, I'm sorry, but I don't know how to really answer this question. It's, sure, it's a, it's sure. a, it's a I don't think any of us know the answer. Yeah, it's, 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 a, it's a tough one, this thing. If you had a good answer, the Tableau people would like to hear it. <laughs> That's for sure. <laughs> the um, what? And I guess the last thing, you know, David, just as we were talking, that that it, I was reminding of is this question. And as you were talking about defects, it reminded me ethics. Yeah. Ethics yep. in the context of AI. It, it's just it's been my I guess continued observation that 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 topic area within the dialogue around artificial intelligence has only continued to grow and expand and become Absolutely. louder and louder of how do we manage this? Can you talk a little bit about how that comes up in your work as the the head of art AI for you know a huge right. sixty thousand person company? Absolutely. And you're absolutely right. It's a growing theme. And I think for a while, there were probably some practitioners who recognized that at scale, at the level at which we now are in terms of the power and capability of AI, that there would be concerning questions we as a civilization should probably be asking ourselves um, as we put these things out into the world or into the metaverse. Um, And often the question is, 
do we understand it? Some level of transparency and what's the makeup? What are the decisions that are being made and how are those decisions made? And as generally speaking, we've we've gotten deep learning and more advanced multi-layer networks that are just essentially impossible to understand. You've gotten a number of capabilities that have helped us understand some of the inner workings of these models. It's really important because just like as a person, you could ask someone, well, how did you come up with that answer, right? Talk to an, an analyst, tell me more, tell me how you came up with that. But mm. The problem is you can't have that same discussion with an AI model, generally speaking. Also, the other big problem is bias, and, and that's not new. The fact right. is we have bias in our data because people and groups have been biased over time for various reasons, both because of the data collected could just be impartial or you know problematic, but also because of the decisions historically humans have made and, and we there's no getting around that other than the fact that we have to recognize that there's likely bias in our data and mm -hmm. take time to understand what it could be and i think this is part of the challenge is then trying to look forward to say what could be in the data that would be problematic to individuals or groups in the future right. so going back to my group a lot of what we do uh, is going to be two facing two different directions. One is AI within the organization, and then AI as products and, and new ventures that go right. to market. Mm -hmm. In each, the question is, is there a potential impact to humans? That's when I think AI ethics, it comes down to that question. If it's AI that has the potential to impact a machine, I, I probably don't care about that as much right now. And maybe I should, but I, I don't today. It's more if we look at recruiting, right? There's recently been some new policy, both within New York, and now it's being looked at, you know, at more of a national scale of how is AI being applied in terms of decision making to someone who's submitting an application. And while we can benefit from the efficiency of these, these models, which in the past would have been simplistic looking at keywords, the fact is we've mm -hmm. seen discrimination in a few different pretty high profile cases where the maker of the AI had no intention to have bias, but the historical example, the AI picked up keywords about masculine and feminine terms that they used within the language of their, their job profile or uh, resume. So it's, it's a very interesting and evolving space. And the, the last thing I'd say is we're actively, we have AI principles within FIS in terms of how we're going to use it and, a, yeah. and an assessment, which we're actually in the middle of, uh, rolling out and evaluating across all the different use cases to make sure that we truly understand the potential impacts and are being very thoughtful about how we apply AI. Mm -hmm. Sounds good. Thanks for just, I continue to be just fascinated. No, it's, it's, it's interesting. And I, one of the things I didn't mention about my background, I also get the chance to be a guest lecturer at Wharton for a program focused on financial technology and risk. And that is one oh, of good. the hottest good. topics that comes up there is understanding what are the risks and trade-offs because we want or we need to get the, the value from the AI, but at the same time, we have to be aware of how things could go wrong. Um, and the brand damage, you know, real damage could really be done to organizations if they don't consider that part. Being in the academic environment now that I am in, that this is the area that I see kind of most potential around for research because there's just so it's extremely complicated, complex. And I think an area that our higher education institutions can add a ton of value and right. um, really helping but drive. Exactly. And, and part of it, too, is being comfortable recognizing that the think the patterns of thinking, I think, look 
quite different, generally speaking, you know, you know, computer engineering group versus a philosophy or a psychology or a sociology group. Mm-hmm. Some mm-hmm. principles are going to be true, but I think that's where all of a sudden now we need to be able to pull in different groups that maybe wouldn't have been at the table before. And, and having someone from a philosophical background being able to add a little bit of, an, of richness yeah. to mm-hmm. an ethical discussion is important. Yeah, I agree. Well, we are uh, unbelievably, as always, kind of are beginning to run out of time for our discussion. And as as David, as you know, we always love to kind of close out with any fintech news that's caught your any of our respective attention in the you know last week or so. You want to get us started? What's what have you seen, or what's been, what's caught your attention? Yeah, the one thing that's interesting, and it, and it caught my eye first. I don't know, must have been over a year ago, maybe a year and a half ago, was this topic of payment for order flow. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know when it came out. It was just recently, I think it may have been just yesterday, the SEC chair, Gary Gensler, um, looking at, I, I think he's maybe he's just floating some of the changes, but potentially some sweeping changes that would have uh, an impact into the spaces of Robinhood and payment for order flow and, and how all of that world works. And I think clearly there were some important questions that were raised about the data usage and rights that maybe not everybody was aware of that were happening with large firms. But now I think we're probably the government is caught up and is asking some pretty good questions there. Yeah, I'm I noticed that or I saw some of that news yesterday, too, or mainly because I know there was several lawyers primarily from Robinhood that were like, you know, pretty strongly uh, pushing back on the idea for obviously reasons their whole. Sure revenue model depends on how that works but uh, I think that, I think to me my the way i read it is probably less about maybe i'm wrong the the legal nature because what was done that was never a question as i understand it as a problem in the past it's as we look forward to make sure that retail investors their interests are protected and i think who's going to disagree with that generally and i think we've got really creative companies like Robinhood will take that feedback and i'm sure already you know late last night today starting to think about how might they ensure that the retail investors are still able to get their needs met and we're balancing which way gary uh, gensler may be pushing things in the future. DJ, how about you? Any news caught your attention? Yeah, this thing, the recent news was on on PayPal, where they've uh, recently announced that they will actually allow its users to transfer cryptocurrencies such as Bitcoin, Ethereum, Litecoin, a lot more, more currencies in the process to be transferred, not from just from one PayPal wallet to another PayPal, but in fact, other uh, crypto color currency wallets too, such as Coinbase wallet, or I believe even your Robinhood account. So I think that's a significant move made by PayPal because right. the, the the free flow, the the transfer, the, pro, the the flow of money from one wallet to another should be it, it should be as smooth as possible. Like how we do it with cash, like uh, companies such as Venmo or Zelle or cash app right it just makes transfer money from one platform to another one user to another so much better i think they've made the right step of entering into the crypto space and using the same features for the users so i think it's really interesting and yeah i think it's it's a great move for the people yeah i think there the 
the friction that goes away is massive, right? Mm -hmm. That's going to make a big difference. People who are curious, but maybe sat on the outside all of a sudden now, they're going to have one less reason not to participate. And two, you've got a brand like PayPal, which is so strong and people just have confidence in them. I think, again, there's going to be a whole mass of people who all of a sudden now, you know, however they promote it, however they figure that out to get people going. It's just a matter of time before you see that next wave, I think, mm -hmm. of people mm -hmm. trying out crypto. Yeah. Of course, yeah. Yeah, I think PayPal is like, okay, why would PayPal do this? I guess in my mind, it's like it just it helps even position PayPal to be that relationship leader with a client, potentially. Exactly. I think, I, to me, that's kind of like the main reason I guess they would do it. Also, the news kind of is a little bit back to the future for me because it reminds me of like, well, the first cryptocurrencies, which were our air miles and membership rewards points or whatever. I mean, let's not forget, those are the first cryptocurrencies. But, you know, it's probably been almost 20 years now when they first started to open up that you could like take an air mile and use it to buy mm -hmm. something right. else or mm -hmm. use it another way somewhere else. You know, ever a lot of these announcements like this. I'm like, oh yeah, yeah. I remember when uh, the whole points became a thing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's um, amazing. The only thing else I throw in is maybe a little, a little bit uh, esoteric, but it's the um, EMB code, which is the the organ, as a kind of I guess a organization. I want to say trade association. I don't think that's right. That really manages the um, chip pin cards and that whole standard for the world. And it's they announced or they released a report yesterday of like how many chip pin cards are out in circulation and it's now at 12 billion which and, a, and there was a pretty recent amount of growth since their pre prior report like over a billion new cards had got added as chip pen cards so uh, i'm not sure how close does that mean to that to are we to having a hundred percent coverage on chip pen but we mm -hmm. gotta be getting close <laughs> right. with 12 million. Well, we have to because I know MasterCard just announced too that by 2033, they will basically do away with the like the magnetic strip. Yeah. So oh, yeah. Oh, interesting. You, you have to like they come together, right? It's um, necessary. But it's an, it's an important call out, I think, because, you know, security is critical to our entire payments infrastructure. And EMB um, has been a really important innovation over the last 20 years to help expand um, the security of the payment uh, infrastructure. Absolutely. Well, listen, David, thanks so much for having me back. I, I do want to say to the audience, you can hear more from David in Season 2, Episode 3, which was on February the 4th, 2021. So uh, after you've you now listened to this podcast, you should go and listen to Season 2, Episode 3 to, uh, to hear even more great ideas and thoughts from David. And VJ, thanks for being on. Yeah, you're going to have a, I'm excited for your future and um, let us let us know how we can be helpful. Absolutely. Yeah, thanks, Tommy. The Georgia FinTech Academy podcasts time. are available on iTunes and Spotify. To obtain additional information about the Georgia FinTech Academy, please visit our website at georgiafintechacademy.org.